Today we have a privilege, a special treat to hear from a missionary that we have supported for many, many years, a missionary in Spain. I first heard of Ken Muckle when I was a second-year student at Dallas Seminary. He was a senior, a fourth-year student at that time. And there's a classes of about 300 or so, and four guys are chosen as the senior pastor to preach in chapel for everyone, Tuesday through Friday. And Ken was one of those uh, chosen to do that. He was a senior preacher, and I still remember uh, that his sermon was on. I can't remember what my sermon was last week, but I remember his was on uh, prayer. And I still remember uh, um, an illustration he gave uh, about Martin Luther. So uh, Ken, has, we've had a, a great relationship uh, over the years. Ken grew up in this area. He's a Pittsburgh guy, uh, North uh, Catholic, went to high school, and then uh, went to Pitt, then Dallas Seminary, came back to this area five years as a youth pastor at Northgate. He was seven years as a pastor in Cumberland, Maryland. And then 1995, God started working on his heart uh, to go overseas. And uh, he came to the Bible chapel around that time, 95 or 96. And, and he shared with us uh, in an evening service about what God, how God was moving in their heart. And we began to partner with them. So it's been a privilege to partner with the Muckles for all these years. They actually landed in Spain in 1997. They've been working there, uh, building churches. They've planted churches. Both Ken and Carolyn are pouring into the lives of nationals. One of the strategic things we believe in is when we send missionaries over for them to pour into nationals so that when they leave, whenever that is, those nationals are there and they can continue uh, the work that God is calling uh, that church to do. They, Ken teaches at a seminary also in Madrid and uh, disciples many men who are training for ministry, and then uh, many who are going to the church they plan. Most important thing about Ken, however, is he married to Carolyn. Like many of us, he married way over his head uh, when he married Carolyn. And they've been married for 31 years. Uh, Carolyn has a significant ministry as well. They have four children, and uh, we've had the privilege of, of uh, being with uh, their children. In fact, our daughter Laura and Hannah roomed together uh, at Grove City, I think, for a year. And they're still talking, two years, and they're still talking to each other. So that's a miracle in and of itself. And so we're very thankful for that. And, and if you guys in Florida want to know the real story of the Muckles, just talk to Lara, and uh, Hannah will, will tell you that story. They have a new grandbaby, a grandbaby just two months ago, and I know they're very excited about that. So I want you to give a special, warm, chapel welcome to Ken Muckle. Thank you, Ron. Well, let's go to Romans chapter 10. And as we're doing that, I'll talk to the author. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would illumine us by your spirit so that we would see the things that you want us to see there, Lord, and that we would act on them so that you would be glorified and your gospel would be accomplished. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the USS Eisenhower is a Nimitz-class nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. It's over 1,000 feet long. Imagine three football fields and a little more back to back or uh, front, to, front to back. 
There are 5,000 crew members on this huge ship. But there are only 100 pilots. And this huge floating city exists so those 100 pilots can accomplish their missions. But each one of those 5,000 crew members must diligently do their jobs so that the mission can be accomplished. Now, Uncle Sam, during World War II, was pointing out and saying, I want you to be involved in our effort. God could be doing that today in your life. I want you to be involved. And we're going to use this illustration all throughout what we're saying today to show that some can go, like the pilots, but all must send And the mission that we need to send people to do is the fact that the gospel must be known universally. In Romans chapter 10, verses 11 to 13, it says this. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all. All who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It must be universally known. Look at the language here. The words everyone. No distinction between Jew and Greek. The the same Lord of all. Bestowing riches on all. For everyone. The message of the book of Romans is the message of justification. That means that our unrighteousness has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been added to our account. A perfect, eternal righteousness has been added to our heavenly account. That's the good news. That's the gospel where it says in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In the book of Romans, we'll see that chapters 1 and 2 talk about who needs this justification. And the answer is all. It says we conclude that all are under the condemnation of God. Why do we need this? Chapter 3 tells us why. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapters 4 and 5 tell us how we get it. We get it by faith alone and uses the illustration of Abraham reaching back into the Old Testament and bringing it into the present and saying faith has always been the requirement to be justified by God. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Chapter 6 to 8 tell us how we are to live if we are justified. We are to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now in the section in which we find ourselves in chapters 9 to 11, we're asking the question, what happened to Israel? And we're going to see that they are under partial rejection now. 
But it looks like God's promises concerning Israel failed. And if God's promises concerning Israel failed, how can I be sure of the wonderful promises? For instance, the promise in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 that says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God's promises to Israel failed, how can I be sure of this wonderful promise to the church and my participation in it? It looks like they failed, but they did not. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. 10.19 says, But I asked, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry, speaking to the nation Israel. And finally, in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. All the elect of Israel will be saved. So what happened is not a failure, but it was part of God's original plan, which is that the gospel must be known universally. And we see that this is part of God's original plan. If we look at the Abrahamic covenant that was given in Genesis chapter 12, God is making promises to Abraham. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. And then he promises him a land and descendants. But in verse three, it says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's plan to reach the world was from the beginning. Verified in Psalm chapter 66, verses 1 and 4, where it says, Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Not just, O Israel, as it is in some of the Psalms, but all the earth. All the earth will worship thee and will sing praises to thee. They will sing praises to thy name. But Israel failed. Isn't it sad at times to read the Old Testament and to read failure after failure? The book of Judges, failure after failure. First and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, failure after failure after failure. Israel has failed, and that's very sad, but God's promises have not failed. His plan has not changed From the beginning, he was to reach all the earth, and that continues in the the time we are in today, the time of the church. And so our commission continues to go to all the nations, as it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Mark chapter 16 verifies that we're to go and preach the gospel to all creation. Luke chapter 24 verifies that where it says that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to 
all the nations. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. This is the commission given to the church. And each of us as members of the church are responsible for its fulfillment. At the judgment seat of Christ, God will ask each one of us, how did you do in reaching my world for my son? Each of us are responsible for that. And we're going to see how those who don't go can be responsible for that in a little bit. But I'd like to challenge you right now. How are you doing reaching your world? Your family, your neighborhood, your place of work, your leisure activities, your contacts through your kids and grandchildren activities. How are you doing reaching your world? Are you praying for people? Are you praying for opportunities? Are you doing what we're going to see in a little bit? The procedure for making the gospel known? Are you, are they hearing? Are you preaching? And then we'll see, are you sending? The procedure for making the gospel known is outlined in verses 14 and 15. It says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It starts out with saying, how will they call on him? And this idea of calling is another place where Paul is reaching into the Old Testament, bringing a concept into the new. He's reaching back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 26, the second generation of human beings on the earth. It says, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Again and again in the Old Testament, the idea of calling upon the name of the Lord is a euphemism or another way of expressing that someone is a believer. Someone is living the life of a believer. Paul does this same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, where he talks about believers as those who call upon the name of the Lord. He's not adding a requirement to the gospel that you need to believe and call, but he's reaching back into the Old Testament and showing us that what he is doing today is the same thing they did using the euphemism of call. We know that because the word call is only used three times in the book of Romans. They are all in chapter 10, a place where Paul quotes 12 Old Testament passages to show that what is going on in the book of Romans is him reaching to the Old Testament and bringing it to the present. He uses the word believe. It says, in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe? He uses that word in the book of Romans 61 times. Establishing the fact that justification comes by faith, by believing alone. And the idea of using the word call is just reaching back to the Old Testament to bring something to the present. How are they to believe? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? We need to live lives 
that are godly before our neighbors, friends, etc. But we also need to make sure that they hear. The gospel is verbal. It's something that needs to be preached. And that's not just what Ron does on Sunday morning. That is proclaiming who Jesus Christ is and what significance he has had in your life and can have in the lives of people that you want to reach. Then it talks about how can they hear unless, how can they preach unless they are sent? Once again, we can look at Uncle Sam saying, I want you. Now, Uncle Sam was used as recruitment for the army in the Second World War. And he can be used for recruitment for the church now. God may want you to go. Uh, He may want you to go if you're a young person. He may want you to dedicate your entire life to going to a place, another country or another culture, to preach Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe the middle-aged person. Maybe God is working in you and he wants you to go. My first year on the mission field, I turned 40. And then there's an exciting group called finishers. These are people that God has called to go overseas in their retirement years. And they don't have to raise support or anything. They have their retirement to live on. And this is a, a new wave of missionaries that God is calling up. People who can go. Now, God called us to go many years ago. But I remember when I was at seminary, there was a group of guys there that were so irritating. It was the Student Mission Fellowship. And they would just irritate me. I avoided those guys. Because they would say things like, 95% of the world that Christ died for lives outside of North America. And if you feel like you need to stay here, you need a special call to stay rather than to go. I didn't want to hear that. I had my life planned. I was going to be a pastor in the United States and live a life of a pastor in the United States. They would say things like 95% of Christian monies are spent in North America But 95% of the world for whom Christ died lives outside of North America. Those guys were irritating. Too serious. I I just didn't like them at all. I went so far as my last year there, Luis Palau was was the speaker for their International Missions Week. And you know where I was when Luis Palau was speaking? Back in my room. I didn't want to hear it. Because I knew he was going to say the same type of things. You need to at least consider going. And I really didn't want to go. But I, I, the Lord eventually worked in us. And we obviously have been there for 20 years. And we were going. But I don't want you to get the impression that people who go are some super Christians. Because Ron had mentioned that I pastored in Cumberland, Maryland after we had been here in Pittsburgh for five years. And there were many times where we rode Route 79 and then Route 68 to Cumberland, Maryland, in tears, wondering why in the world we were so far from our families. We were two and a half hours in car away. Why why do we have to be so far from our families? And it's amazing. 
what God's grace does. He's taken two people who cried on a two and a half car ride to Cumberland, Maryland and placed them an ocean away from their families. We're not super Christians. We're even afraid to, afraid to fly. Pray for us on the 19th. We've got to fly again across the ocean. We're afraid to do that. But God gives grace. So don't think that you have to be some superman to go because I certainly am not. But we need to look at the realities that most of you are not going to go. Some of you need to, or at least consider it. But most of us are not going to go. So if you don't go, what's your responsibility? We're going to see in chapter 10, verse 15, that those who can't go must send. Verse 15 says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How can they preach if they are not sent? You see, with the USS Eisenhower, there are those 5,000 crew members, but only 100 pilots. And this huge ship exists so that those 100 pilots can accomplish their missions. So they can take off and land on that deck. And this is similar to the church. The majority of people are going to stay behind on the mothership, making it possible for those who go to go and return. And so you, as a crew member of the USS Bible Chapel, need to figure out what is your job on this huge ship in order to get those pilots that we send out there. And so now we're going to look at what does it mean to send well? What can I do to send? Because I am going to be asked how I did in my sending. So we want to look at what the Bible says about what does it mean to send. First of all, we're going to see the, the word for send is apoluo in the Greek. It's a special commission of stewardship with authority. It talks about God sending Jesus Christ to the world. It's used when Jesus sends his disciples. And it's used for the church sending missionaries. The first thing we're going to see that sending means is it means that you commission people to go in your place. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, it says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, then it names them. It says in verse 2, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. In the Old Testament, the idea of laying hands on someone or something is an identification with the person and saying that this person is doing something in my place. It's very significant in the book of Leviticus where the priest would place his hands on the head of the sacrifice, signifying that this sacrifice was taking the place of the offerer for their sins. Did you notice what Ron did when he commissioned Robin? He placed his hands on her. 
And that signified, and as you all extended your hands, that she was going to minister to orphans in Kenya in your place. That's the first part of sending, to commission people to go in your place. The next part of sending is to know how God is working through these commissioned people. When the missionaries return from Acts chapter 13, we see in Acts chapter 15, it says, therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria. Then in verse 4, it says, and when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. That's a missionary report. It's reading a missionary prayer letter. You see, if you're going to send someone, you want to know how God is working through these people. Another aspect of sending is to help to meet their needs. Romans chapter 15, verses 24, one of my favorites. Whenever I go to Spain, which we'll be doing on the 19th, for we hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Helped on my way. That's talking about finances. That you would help these people that you've commissioned to go in your place, and if they're going in your place, you have that responsibility to help to meet their needs. And it says at the end of that verse, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. And I want to thank the USS Bible Chapel in your sending of us that you have done a wonderful job of meeting our needs, physically, spiritually, and psychologically. So thank you for what you've done in sending us. You've helped to meet our needs spiritually, financially, and psychologically, just like in Titus chapter 3, verse 13, it says, help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And that's what you've done for us. And we greatly appreciate it. Then in 3 John chapter 6 it says, And they bear witness to your love before the church and that you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Do it in a way that glorifies God. We want to thank you for what you've done. And then the last way we're going to see that you can send someone well is to pray for them. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 4 begins, Devote yourselves to prayer. Then in verse 3 says, Praying at, all, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up for us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. You need to pray for the people you send. You see, you've commissioned them to go in your place, you need to know how God is working through them. You need to help meet their needs, but you need to pray for them. Because God has to open doors for the ministry everywhere. In John chapter 15, it says, Without me, you can do nothing. And in that context, it's talking about fruit bearing. You can do nothing that is considered bearing fruit without God working without God opening the door of the hearts of the individual so that they come to know Christ. And that applies in your world as well as the world. 
need to pray for the people in your world, but also the people going to the world. You have a wonderful thing that goes on here. The third Thursday of every month at seven o'clock, there's something called impact prayer meeting. And I'm sure you've read it in the bulletin, but you need to consider going to that because it's a wonderful way of sending missionaries. There, there are reports and all the prayer letters from the missionaries are there. And then you pray for the requests that the missionaries give. And I want to let you know that the most successful period of our ministry roughly corresponds with the start of the impact prayer meeting. Thank you for doing that. We missionaries are sent, and that comes from the Latin word mito, which is the translation of the Greek send right here. And it simply means someone who's sent to a different country or a different culture to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're really riding the wave of a lot of successes do you understand that at the beginning of the 20th century, when you looked around the world, one in 100 people identified as a Christian. At the end of the 20th century, that number was down to one in 10. Wow, some people did some great sending in the 20th century. Do you understand that Brazil will soon pass the United States as the nation that sends the most missionaries? Now, we need to... Be careful of that in the United States, but look what happened in Brazil. You sent missionaries to Brazil, and they had a vision to reach the world, and they're doing it. Uh, since 9-11, there are more people from Muslim backgrounds who have come to know Christ than in the previous 1,300 years combined. It's because you sent over 1 million people from Muslim backgrounds are now followers of Jesus Christ. You have sent and you need to continue to do a good job sending. As I come to the conclusion, I want you to encourage you that out in the foyer at each one of your campuses, there are people at tables and they want to talk to you about your role as crew members of the USS Bible Chapel, how you can be involved in sending missionaries. But maybe some of you need to ask what do I need to do to go? Whether it be short-term, medium-term, or long-term. But we all need to realize that this is our responsibility, that we need to fulfill. As the USS Bible Chapel joins the strike force of other like-minded churches so that we can reach the world for Jesus Christ. Let's pray for the power to do that. Father, we want to thank you that you have given us this responsibility. And we pray, Lord, for the power of your spirit in accomplishing it, Lord. And we thank you for the, the great responsibility and the great privilege of being a crew member of your work around the world. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.